say it's better. Okay, right, we're good. Right, okay. So just some uh, just some ground rules, everyone, for the for the chat today. Um, is obviously we will talk about a couple of topics. We'll go through some things. If there's points in the chat that come up, we'll obviously talk about them. If not, um, we will have questions at the end, and we'll kind of talk about everything like that. So to start, obviously, we need to get to know our guests. So first of all, uh, Seth, a um, couple of questions for you first. Obviously, first thing I want to ask you is, uh, obviously, tell us a little bit about yourself and when you first fell in love with football slash soccer, which obviously we'll get into a bit later on. <laughs> uh, yes, a little bit about me. Uh, you know, I, obviously, I'm here in the States. Um, I, you know, I'm a longtime sports fan. Uh, always grew up uh, loving American football. Uh, grew up in Atlanta. Big Braves fan. And, uh, yeah, as far as soccer goes, uh, as we refer to it here, uh, soccer was always on the periphery for me. Like I played when I was a kid for a couple of seasons, but where I grew up, it was all about baseball, you know, all about baseball and football. And so didn't really spend too much time with soccer. Um, I fell in love with soccer during the 2014 world cup, watching Tim Howard and Romelu Lukaku and, and those guys. And that's where I really just like fell in love with soccer and just dove deep into it. And, in the years since, I've followed, started uh, becoming a massive supporter of Everton, of Atlanta United, and then uh, now we have a local club here, New Mexico United, who plays in the USL Championship, and I actually cover them for our ESPN radio affiliate here. So that's that's my involvement with with soccer over the past almost a decade or so. Yeah, that, I tried to uh, I tried to kind of make sure today that I was a bit neutral with the discussion. We were joking before the uh, podcast started that. Uh, I got the Atlanta United jersey on and the uh, the the uh, the Atlanta Falcons cap on, which leads me into Lewis. Uh, now, Lewis, same thing goes to you. Uh, you know, where did you discover the love of the NFL? And obviously, what team do you support? But I think the helmets behind you kind of give it away a little bit. <laughs> um, similar story to Seth, really. Um, always grew up around sports. Um, Family, in particular, my dad, always well into sports, uh, all different sports on the TV. Um, in terms of NFL, I would say I remember vaguely as a kid um, video highlights and things like that when I was at my grandparents because my granddad as well was a, a very big sports fan. Um, but for me, I, I really truly got into it sort of early 2000s. Um, when coverage seemed to sort of be a little bit more available to us over here. Mm. That's the thing for me, obviously, my my kind of, uh, here we go, we got some up the saints in the chat from Parksy. <laughs> I knew that would uh, that would come up. Um, but yeah, so for me, I, I kind of the same story as Lewis, you know, I kind of kind of got into the NFL. I think it, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was the San Francisco versus the giant super bowl was the first super bowl i watched i can't remember what year that was um but that, i remember that was the first um super bowl that i watched and then ever ever since then i, I kind of uh i picked the atlanta falcons obviously you can see from the cap and obviously a lot of you know that i support tottenham in the premier league so you know my sports uh my sports selection of teams was never great until Atlanta United came along uh and they were the obviously uh my MLS team of choice just because of where they were based um and obviously they have the sexiest jerseys in the MLS and and do every season 
uh, I, you know, yet to see people argue with me otherwise. That white and gold one, I think, last year was just oh, phenomenal. Um, but so moving on to uh, to, to uh, the MLS, obviously, um, the MLS is kind of where where we're going to start this discussion. So we're going to start mainly with you know me and me and Lewis probably having questions for Seth on the MLS, and obviously you guys in the chat if you have got any questions on that kind of thing and the USL, which is a whole nother topic. Um, we're going to talk mainly about that. Then we're going to move over to talking about the more NFL side of things. And then we're going to talk about, you know, that's where at the end we'll maybe have a little bit of a to and fro conversation about, you know, where things can go for both, where things need to improve for both and all that um, kind of thing. Also, if you guys are watching, don't forget that uh, luckily I did get affiliated with Classic Football Shirts. And if you do Smash Mart CFS in the chat, you guys can pick up your own lovely collection like I have behind me. But yeah, okay, without further ado, Seth, can you please give us, uh, so, you know, aliens have landed um, in the US, they've seen this round ball in a field somewhere, and they've gone, oh man, we, we landed in Europe last year, and, you know, their football is, you know, pretty straightforward to understand, you know, ups and downs, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we know nothing about the... Uh, how they play soccer in the US. So, you know, totally dumbed down, aliens, absolutely nothing. If, because obviously there'll be a lot of people that don't watch the MLS or don't know the USL. So, explain in basic terms how the hell it works over for you guys. <laughs> well, in terms of actual play on the pitch, it's not all that different. You know, no. obviously 11 aside, all that kind of stuff. Where the major difference is, and what I would say is that. And to be completely honest with you, as a whole, MLS as a product is inferior to pretty much every other major league around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the basic way to put it. Um, yes, we do have – it's improved, but – and and data has shown that it's now like the sixth most watched soccer league in the world or sixth most attended soccer league in the world, which is fantastic from a growth perspective. But in terms of putting players on the pitch that are quality players – you really don't see well, in years past that as much from the MLS as you would say watching the Prem or La Liga or even like you know, the, the Bundesliga 2, you know. And so my, my, my biggest explainer would be don't expect the same quality of play as you would. Now, of course, there are, or there are exceptions to that. You've got clubs like Atlanta United, like LAFC, clubs that have gone above and beyond trying to bring in top tier talent and trying to make the league as a whole better. Mm. So with regards to kind of the structure and, and everything, now obviously I know how it works and, and when we talked briefly about how, you know, the the MLS especially is a totally um, different uh, model of, of how, how it football works you know in there like you said the the league the teams are owned by the league aren't they in the mls yeah mls operates as a single entity um so yeah all the the way that works if you're not familiar with it is every single club within the league all the players within the league they're all owned by the league itself and what happens is so you have arthur blank who you and i are familiar with yeah uh, owner of the falcons owner of the atlanta united what happens is these these owners they pay fees to the MLS in order to operate a club, so they don't officially own it. And 
within the U.S. Soccer Federation, you've got the pyramid like you do in other leagues, but MLS is completely separate from everything below it. MLS is the is the top, is the tier one or division one soccer league here in the U.S. Everything else is sanctioned below them or not sanctioned at all. Mm. Um, and so yeah, it's just completely separate. It's yeah, it's just it's a really strange way to look at it, especially when you look at leagues like the Premier, with the, like the Prem Brothers, where you're, the clubs are owned by basically billionaires, um, and they're able to sign and sell players as needed. Mm. And yeah, and so part of the MLS's single entity idea is that the clubs aren't competing against each other for basically other talent, and it's it's just a really weird thing to to look at and watch happen because there's all these other rules surrounding it that really kind of in my opinion hamper the mls and its growth so like so so just uh so i'm understanding this correctly and, and I, I think i do get this so so say for example me and lewis both play for the same football team on a saturday in the in the english game you know if we get promoted so many times and keep going and going and going up that scale through being successful as a club we would get to the top and that's not the case in the MLS because essentially what you're saying is is you need to buy a spot. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's no promotion relegation within the U.S. Uh, soccer pyramid. Mm-hmm. Now there has been talk at the lower li- at the lower levels within USL cha- within the USL, which has well now four operating divisions, and the there's another league that's uh, currently sanctioned as Tier Three, or, uh, Division Three, the uh, NISA NISA. Both of those leagues have talked about internal promotion relegation between their leagues. Now, there are other issues that come with that, but yeah, you'll never see a USL championship club go to the MLS unless they pay an expansion fee to the MLS, which as of this past year with Charlotte FC, they paid an expansion fee of $325 million to now operate a club within the MLS structure. Crazy. That's crazy. Um, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, we're gonna I'm gonna go to Lou here um, just as a as a uh, neutral in in this sort of thing. So we want to get a perspective of someone I, I, I've never I've never remember talked to you about the MLS before. I've never asked you about the MLS, but this is where this whole discussion is kind of kind of leading in the sense of I'm just gonna go to Lou and say. You know, what do you know about the MLS? How much do you watch the MLS? Do you even watch it? You know, that that's the kind of, you know, what we want to kind of gauge about the discussion with this. Uh, to put it simply, I've probably learned more listening to Seth in that couple of minutes there than what I knew myself. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I'd probably speak for a lot of people this side of the ocean in that and that we don't really understand the league as much. Um I mean, we know that there's obviously a playoff system at the end of the at the end of the regular season. Other than that, the understanding of the ins and outs of it is really not there. The no, majority of us, I'd say. Mm. I I think the biggest thing, uh, and I'm and again, I'm speaking on behalf of uh, all MLS fans on this side of the pond. When I say this, the only reason I know the MLS exists was because you could watch it on the free channel on Sky. Uh, on the free Sky Sports Mix channel. That was the only reason I I obviously I knew teams existed, but that was the only the only way that I, you know, would sit down and watch a game, you know. Obviously the time zones are the the same as the NFL kind of. 
Um, so, you know, if it was a late night and you were up with the boys or, you know, you, you were just playing games and you wanted something on in the background, it was something to stick on. And that was kind of where it um, kind of birthed from. I think I think one of the first games I watched was the uh, the new, was, uh, New York City EFC. And I was blown away by the fact that they were literally playing on the baseball field and there was a corner of the pitch that was and it and and for me it was it was it was at that moment and I think Seth you're you're gonna wanna weigh in on this. You know, you see sometimes in lower league football, uh where like, you know, like Wigan, for example, will share the stadium with the rugby team. You'll you'll watch the rugby game and there's lines on the field. Um but for me, seeing that really i don't know i kind of thought that you know how am i supposed to take this sport seriously if they you know they can't cover that corner of the field with grass just to make it look like an actual do you know what i mean I, it was just crazy what, what do you think that image wise you know if, if if you were watching it for the first time and you saw that how would that make you feel like i cannot stand nycfc's pitch i can't stand it it drives me absolutely insane um yeah it, it honestly it, it bothers me when clubs are playing on baseball on baseball fields um now our local club here in new mexico united play shares a stadium currently with uh the colorado rockies triple a affiliate from baseball uh the albuquerque isotopes but we have uh secured funding to uh locate a site for a soccer specific stadium Mm-hmm. Uh, which is one of the rules that uh, USL Championship has in place. Um, now, obviously, for a club like NYCFC playing in New York, space is pretty limited. Um, so I think they got an exception from MLS to, to continue to play there, but it also comes with drawbacks. So like they can't host Open Cup matches. They can't host other events at, at that stadium because of that. Um, but yeah, it's I, honestly, I think it's a bad look. I can't stand it. Um, there are some clubs that I've seen that have taken over baseball facilities that are no longer they're no longer used for baseball and they've converted it full on. But you can still see like where the field was the, the and it causes the pitch the pitch to have a different dimension. Yeah, they're typically smaller, and so the play is a lot more compact. It kind of reminds me of Serie A a little bit with how compact they play from mm-hmm. what I've watched. Yeah, and yeah, it just it takes away some from the game if you ask me. So um, with, uh, and this again, we'll go to, um, well, I'll go to Lou with this. With the with the MLS, obviously, and, and Kylan's just put it in the chat, We, me and Lou talked a little bit before you got on, Seth, about the MLS and, and kind of its reputation for being, as Kylan's put it, the retirement league um, for European footballers. Um, however, and, and this is where I'll go to Lou, we are starting to see a uh, immersion um, of young, not necessarily American players making the transition into the bigger leagues. You know, if you look at your, your Miggy Almirons, um, you know, and there's a lot of, yeah, exactly, Atlanta zone, uh, you know. <laughs> There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of players uh making their way into the the bigger leagues and obviously you're starting to see um Americans uh as well you know you've got Weston McKenney for Juventus you know you're starting to see these players emerge onto the scene obviously he's he's a Schalke graduate but um Lou do you think for the MLS to be taken more seriously more, oh, another good one sorry Matthew Hopp for Schalke just to, just for Holly 
Um, do you, Lou, do you think for the MLS to be taken more seriously, um, more players need to perform in the big leagues to then show younger players that the, that the MLS can be used as a stepping stone to success rather than a uh, end-of-career move? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that as a point. Um, going back to the comment in the chat, I mean, my first understanding of MLS was obviously David Beckham going over there um, and obviously the few players that followed after that. So I think that's where the reputation comes from because a lot of people now associate those type of moves when you've got um, Beckham, Kaka, as of that ilk going over there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with what you point you say in that um these players that do come across they're they're reaching the top of the game over here i certainly think it's going to impact the game back back in the states i mean I, I do know there is a number of young english players that go over now if they get released from clubs or if they're in the lower leagues in england i mean uh anton walks for example mm. uh, leaving pompey and went back over to Atlanta, from what I understand, yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there is there is more of a move of that that type of thing going on at the moment. Um, I think it needs to keep trending in that direction for it to really start to kick in and affect the league over there. From what I can see, yeah. Um, but it's certainly going in the right direction, I'd say. Do you think, uh, Seth, going back to I know this is going to look like it's turning into a you know Atlanta United fan show, but you know. Uh, uh, if there's players in that league that can make big moves, the one for me that I'm still shocked is obviously he's been out for a while, but the one for me that I'm still shocked he was there and was there and Newcastle didn't buy both uh, is a player like Josef Martinez. Now, for those that have seen Josef play, and and I'll say this from a, from an English perspective. Uh, he, I can, obviously there's a reputation you think, oh, he's playing in the MLS, it's not that different. But you can tell when you see a player um, that would tear it up no matter where he went. Um, so, Seth, do you think uh, a player like Osev going to a big league, and, and there might be a few others, but this is what I mean. My knowledge of the MLS is, is poor. If I'm, you know, the interest in it's gone because, you know, I don't, it's not the same as the NFL for me, but do you think players like Kosev and uh, you're more than welcome to name a couple of others that you think, you know, you can clip, people can clip when they become superstars and it'd be like, oh, Seth said this before. Um, <laughs> but do, is there is there any other players of that kind of calibre that you think could make those big moves to improve the reputation of the MLS uh, worldwide? Well, we've, this year we've already seen quite a few guys go over to go over to Europe and various different leagues. Obviously, Matthew Hoppe has gone over. Uh, Christian Pulisic has gone over. Now, whatever's going on at Chelsea, I don't know. That's that, that seems to be a whole mess right there. Um, you know, obviously Weston McKinney getting a shot at Juventus. Uh, there's some guys that have gone over and made moves. Um, you talk about Joseph. He 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 played in Italy. You know, he he played over there. Didn't necessarily have a great career. Came over and obviously has done fantastic for Atlanta. And he stated he doesn't want to go back to Europe. You know, he's happy where he is, and I, you know, he's basically a god in Atlanta now. You know, mm. he, he is called El Rey for a reason. And uh, side note, I cannot wait for the season to start. He looks like he's going to be back. Which yeah. It's going to be exciting. 
Um, but yeah, there's other like I think Carlos Vela could do well. I think there are some others, but again, I think the biggest part of the problem is that the developmental system here in the U.S. is not great. You see guys going over, you know, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Matthew going over to and being a graduate of the the Schalke Academy. That's what's been happening. That's where these guys are getting their exposure. You know, years ago we had Freddie Adu come up. Hmm. You know, highly touted, supposedly one of the best U.S. soccer players in, in history, and he became a giant flop. And a lot of that has to do, again, with the developmental system that we have here. Um, if U.S. soccer could basically put everyone in one big pyramid and have everyone work together, I mean, it's hard enough to get a player transferred from USL to MLS because a lot of these MLS clubs, they have their two sides, their U23s, that play in the USL, but this past offseason, they decided to pull a whole bunch of them out. And MLS is creating another new academy system called MLS Next. And so, I mean, it's just a giant mess. I mean, are there guys that could go over? Yeah. Um, you know, we're obviously seeing more and more of it. And I think over the next, you know, five, ten years, we're going to see a number of more number of more players be exported over to Europe or other leagues and you know get that exposure going but you know it's again it all comes down to the development here yeah so we'll get that that's going to lead on quite nicely into into the next point and leon going to come to you with this obviously uh you know the us uh one of the well not one of probably i would say the biggest sporting nation in the world um you know in in size population the amount of sport and obviously soccer, and um, I think we talked last time when we had a brief chat about this, you know, you look at other countries that are probably having a similar issue like China with the CSL and, and other leagues that are, are in the same sort of situation as this with development of young players. Now, we're going to talk about the US national team. Uh, and what we're going to talk about that is, is how one of the biggest superpowers in the world can have one of the least successful male, let me just get that in, one of the least successful male football teams uh, in, the, uh, in the world, really, is in, in potential. You know, you look, at, you look at the size of the US, you look at the amount of player pool that you have, the, the, and it all goes back to what Seth said about funding. But for you, first of all, we're, we're going to talk about some of our USL legends and then kind of talk about, you know, where we see it going and, and how it needs to improve so for you uh lou growing up um who were uh some of the national heroes uh, that you saw uh from america you know that, that we grew up with sort of thing um grew up with um it would probably be a bit later on than that for me really uh-huh. um the American players I do remember from when I was a bit younger would be uh, your Claudio Reyna, uh, Brian McBride, Brad Friedel, um, players like that. And then obviously you then had a little bit later on, you had your Landon Donovans and your Clint Dempsey's um, coming over and obviously Landon on, on loan a couple of times, but Clint actually over here full time for a, a good few years. Um, I mean, those sorts of players are the ones when I think US national team, they're the ones that pop pop into my head. Mm. So the, the the thing is for me and and Seth, I'm going to come to you now. The thing is, um, I think there was a turning point, and feel free to disagree with me here. 
there was a turning point of you know the the USL and the USL the USA national team had like I would say every like maybe like two three players in every squad like a generational squad that were good like you know like you said we we've mentioned Howard Donovan Dempsey you know what I mean like you know that that's those those three and then you go back another couple of years and there were another different three but it was always like it was never a whole team but do you think uh and and again like I said correct me if I'm wrong the turning point for the US national team was the failure to qualify when they played against Trinidad and I can't remember how many years ago that was um but do you think that was um because I, from what I've seen, and again, again, prove me if I'm, um, tell me if I'm wrong, the US national team have decided, right, we're going to scrap all of these stars that we have, and we're going to play a bunch of kids, essentially, and 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 see if that does us any good. So, uh, if you want to weigh in on that, Seth, on 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 the current situation of the US national team. Yeah, the failure to qualify for the World Cup and the, for the 2018 cycle, uh, including all that, uh, I believe it was a loss or a draw to Trinidad and Tobago, that was just devastating for the program. At no point should we lose to a nation like Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, yes, they have some talented players, but... Ken Wynn. Ken Wynn. Yeah, Ken Wynn. Ken Wynn Jones, yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, no, U.S. never should have should have failed there. And... For a long time, we you, you mentioned Donovan and Dempsey and and those guys and Tim Howard. I, I love Tim Howard to death. You know, he was one of the guys that made me fall in love with soccer. Um, we waited far too long to move on from those guys. Mm-hmm. Now that's not to say they weren't still among the top players in the MLS, but on the world stage, they weren't going to hold up. We see it even here within North America. You know for years we struggled against Mexico and over the past, you know, I'd say two years or so, um, maybe even maybe four years, we've started to do better against them. And that's from bringing in these younger guys, you know, developing them, getting them in and really working with them. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, that was a major turning point for us. Um, we've had, we struggled for so long and we went through so many different coaches in the early two thousands, and all, we, we had Klinsman, we had Bruce Arena twice, we had other guys, and there was such a high turnover rate. I don't, I think that was part of the problem too. But yeah, having these younger guys in, I think is going to be uh, extremely beneficial for us in the long run. Um, having these guys together longer, uh, getting out the guys who felt like they were just like, I guess, uh, what's, uh, what's the word? Uh, big shots like the boys. Big yeah. shots. Yeah. Uh, roster players, emeritus, whatever. Like they should always be on the roster. Yeah, I think they were just weighing weighing down the club, uh, and now you see uh, a lot more excitement surrounding the club mm. uh, in terms of you know what we're seeing on the pitch and how these guys are. You know, so many players on our national team now are playing overseas. You know, some mm. of the guys we didn't you know, Gio Reyna. Uh, you know, we mentioned Weston McKinney earlier. And there's Dest. other guys out there too. Dest at Barcelona. Yeah, yeah Sir uh, Sergino Dest is over there. Reggie Cannon's playing for Boa Vista now. Like, there's so many guys that uh, that are playing really well and showing what well-developed uh, American talent can do. Um, another thing we've had we have we have had recently, and it wasn't so big of an issue in the past, is we've seen players with dual citizenship 
having to make decisions about who they're going to play for, mm. which is a huge deal. I guess even being considered at this point compared to where we were at, you know, a decade ago. So, okay. So for now we're going to, we're going to park uh, the, the MLS discussion and we are going to come back to it because like I said, we are got more of a um, back and forth at the end to kind of talk about the success in brackets and, and the improvements and things like that. So Lou, this is it. This is the moment. Uh, you're, you're, you've come out of the, you know, you've come out of the womb you're, you've you've watched football all your life, and then all of a sudden, uh, this egg appears on the screen, and there's loads of guys in armor, and you're going, "What the hell is going on here?" Now, uh, <laughs> for you, um, how how much has the NFL changed, and how much has your knowledge of the NFL changed over the years from 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 watching it and and i always get this with my friends you know the the nfl is only as good as the time that you invest into learning it um it is one of those sports where if you don't invest your time to understand the game and and understand why they stop every two seconds why they wear armor why there's so many commercial breaks this that this that once you invest your time into learning the game, you then appreciate it. So for you, Lou, um, you know, where where do you think your change from casual watcher to super fan, as I will call it, where where did that, you know, where did you go, right, this is where I want to change and I actually want to understand this game? Yeah. Um, so I originally... Um into nfl in the early 2000s um i would say i was i was probably disconnected from it a little bit it was just sort of like a passing check it out if it was on the tv type of thing mm-hmm. um i mean picking my team was the most childlike thing you could even come across i mean i literally picked new england because it had england in the name and i live in england, <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's one of those it's almost the most basic type of oh i'm going to associate myself to that because i've got an association that you could get mm. um, so you weren't a glory hunter I mean, just to, to clarify me, <laughs> I, don't know, I mean to be honest obviously new england's greatest period of success has been within my fandom but yeah i've got to be completely honest the first three super bowls so you're looking at your 2001 2003 2004 don't really have an emotional attachment to that just because the coverage at them sort of times for myself um and probably a lot of other people this side of the pond just wasn't there Mm. um for me it probably started around about 2006 2007 they're the years when i really remember i think sky sports over here had a bit more of a push on getting it on at Mm. better times and we're also probably seeing a little bit more action of it on sky sports news and and programs of the like um and yeah, and I mean, the the international series mm. started coming over in 2007, and I just think from there it obviously snowballed. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger as the years years carried on after that. Um, Seth, so you might be able to weigh in on this um, with with regards to the international series. Um, obviously, for those that don't know, the international series is normally foreseen in the uk as it only happens here which isn't true 
because the international series they they play a couple of games in Mexico and there's somewhere else that I can't remember where they also play games. But I, I think there's somewhere else there where they also play games in the international series. How when the international series and and you might not be able to answer this and you might not know, but obviously uh American sport is is very um what's the word it's very enclosed i feel it's very you know they don't like it going out they want it to all be in and the international series when it first came around um do you, do you remember how it was received or or how uh you know cuz was that was that was that something that was was it exciting at the time was it you know for for american fans were they like whoa whoa why is our sport going over there like you know this is this is ours you know they want to watch it they watch it on the telly but you know for you guys how how was that you know that expansion into making the sport international well prior to the international series nfl did actually have a league over in europe nfl europa mm, yeah uh which failed miserably um mm. there wasn't a whole lot of draw to that and so the announcement of the international series was kind of met here with a lot of, okay, well, why are we doing this again? <laughs> it didn't work before. Why are we doing it now? The, I will say the big difference was that it was just going to be a handful of games, you yeah. know? And so me looking at it, I'm like, okay, I'm not really a fan of this. I don't, I'm not, I don't think this is a great idea. I don't want to see my team having to travel, you know, uh, thousands of miles, you know, over to London and then come back. Now, I mean, the, the NFL obviously put rules in place where, you know, the teams that do that didn't have to play the following week and, and things like that to try to help with that. But it always seemed to me at, at first like it was just a bit of a, a novelty. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. really think it was going to catch on the way it did. But uh, I was, you know, I was pleasantly surprised to see um, that the quality of play for the most part has stayed the same, you mm -hmm. know, given the amount of travel involved and that um, the, the the reception of it has been tremendous over over in Europe. Because mm. that's the thing I remember, um, and Lou, I'll get to you in a sec about this. I remember my first international series game, um, and I always get this round the wrong way, um, but I remember when I went, I got to see the Atlanta Falcons, uh, which was obviously crazy. You know, if you think of the, the games that happened to come over, um, out of all of the teams that could have come, it was the Falcons, um and i was already a falcons fan prior so it wasn't like i chose the falcons on international series like for me it was like uh you know a kid in a candy store you know there were uh, you know um atlanta falcons merch everywhere there was you know there was flags on your seats all of that kind of stuff i've got a nice collage up in the loft which i'm currently packed away for the move but you know that kind of thing was was obviously amazing the game wasn't and it kind of set me up for that was where I first kind of experienced what it's like to be a Falcons fan, to be honest. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll talk about the Super Bowl a little bit later, but that game really set me up, you know, being 20, I think it was 21 nil at halftime against the Lions. Um, and then going all the way into the second half, not scoring a single point. And then the Lions having a field goal to win the game, kicking towards me as well. So I could see the ball as it went in between the pylons. Um, but it didn't, it missed, you know, everyone was celebrating that had a Falcons jersey on and then there was a flag on the play. They got to re-kick it and won. And I think that was where I decided I was going to give up with supporting uh, sporting teams uh, in general, because it just seems like, you know, a lot like um, Holly would say in the chat as well. She's very cursed with teams. I feel like I just pick teams that 
they're just unsuccessful. They're good, but they're unsuccessful. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, Lou, for you, uh, I don't know if you've been to games before or anything like that, but for you, with that kind of coverage um, and it coming over here, now obviously Seth said about you know the Europa League didn't the Europa League the Europa NFL didn't work. Um, do you think uh, maybe because it was done round the wrong way, it didn't work uh, in the sense of you know forcing a league to start instead of doing these as as Seth said exhibition games in the sense of they're just there for the spectacle. And now we have this coverage. Do you think that's why the international series is such a success, and why it's grown so much in the UK? Um, yeah, I mean, NFL Europe was, um, from what I understand, was sort of forced upon teams a little bit that wanted a league but probably weren't ready for it. Mm. Um, from what I can remember, and from what I've look back on since like the documentary i've seen um i think yeah you're completely right in that by going about it the way they have this time um and i mean even looking back um to what games we've had and, and the numbers um i mean from 2007 to 2012 we had one game over here before they then started ramping it up mm. and i think that was i think all the time it was one game over here it probably did seem like a little bit more of a novelty um, alluding back to Seth's point, um, but I mean, once it started getting bigger and more games were being were being put on over here, I think it then got people taking it seriously. I mean, there's always been a a community, an NFL community in the UK. Um, there's always been that community over here, whether it's um, Americans living over here that have sort of involved with family members and things like that but there's been that and i just think that the international series has well and truly put the the roots down for it to carry on and only get bigger yeah because like for, for for us and and again seth this would probably be interesting for you to know it, like you know we we now have a league in the uk it's not as obviously big as as, as the nfl but you know, we've got we've got a team where we live. We have the Portsmouth Dreadnoughts, and and one of our one of our players that we play football with on a Saturday plays for the Portsmouth Dreadnoughts. Um, you know, so so for us, it's uh, it's becoming more of a um, a main staple in in sport here. Now, obviously, this leads into the question, and Seth, I'll come to you first, and then I'll come to Lou afterwards. The Jacksonville Jaguars is probably one of the most interesting situations to monitor at the minute with regards to, and Seth already knows what I'm going to say, um, with regards to the possibility of a team playing here. And how that would work logistically is obviously the biggest issue that's going to come up and all, and all that kind of thing. Um, but... With regards to the success and what it would mean for the NFL, do you think the next step is for a franchise to be outside of the US? If not, why? In terms of growth for the NFL, I think an international team would be absolutely tremendous. There's been talk for years about a club potentially going over there and playing full-time. 
Um, in 2019, there was a there was a possibility that the Oakland Raiders might go over there while they were having their dispute with uh, I believe the the city or county in out in California, but they eventually got that worked out, and so Oakland ended up not doing it. And there was been talk about talk about Jacksonville playing over there full time. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I again I think it would it would help with some growth, but it, the limiting factor, of course, would be the logistics of it. Um, you know, obviously you don't want that team traveling back and forth every other week. You know, it'd have to be something to where they they would basically have to have a bye week after every single game, which would give the give that team a 32 week season. Mm. It's just not gonna work. You know, or you know, even if you give you know, split their season, you know, up into like segments, you know, four at home, four away, something I don't know. But yeah, logistically that that's the biggest hurdle for the NFL. Now if you had a team in, say, Canada, maybe you know the Toronto area, uh, or maybe down in Mexico, that'd be a little bit more doable because you know Mexico is on the same time zone as, say, uh, I believe Indianapolis, Chicago, and some of the other teams. Hmm. And, and really, the only logistical thing there is flights to and from Mexico or yeah. flights to and from Canada, as opposed to flying overseas. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'd be a huge step for the NFL if they did that. Now, whether it's in London, which I, I think is probably their preferable spot for their for there to be a team, uh, or somewhere else, I don't know. Lou, for you, um, and and I'm going to add in another point, which you can kind of link into yours. With the rise of, uh, I'm going to say European talent because there are some European players making their way in as well as English players. With the rise of a couple of players making their way into the league, you know, obviously we talked about this in DMs a while ago. Jay's a bit outdated now, but Jay Ajayi was the prime example at the time of someone that came in and and, and set the league alight. Um, Do you think uh, the more players that we see go into the NFL from the UK or from Europe will increase the likelihood of that thing kind of happening in the sense of showing that we have the talent here that we could probably field our own team not saying it would be a you know british team with only british players and we might get the odd american in you know that's not but you know like we have enough of a pool of talent here that we can contribute to the nfl by saying look here we go here's 50 guys that you can put into the draft or we'll set up a uh you know a college style league over here where the nfl can come and look and pick players from teams and all that kind of thing um personally for me no um i would probably say that um the influx of players from europe um and the uk would probably make NFL look to maybe reboot some sort of European league again if it if it was to get um if it was to get to that stage I mean like you like you said we've we've got a couple of players who have gone straight into teams over there and then you've also obviously got the NFL's pathway program that a, a number of players are in I mean the two that strike to me or the two that I can think of being Effie Abada for the Panthers and um New England had a, a, a halfback, a fullback, sorry, uh, Jacob Johnson, who came over from Germany. Um, I mean, I, I think players like that are only going to, at the moment, be sporadic. I don't think that's going to be a major thing just yet. Um, 
I think, like I said previously, I think it'll push the NFL more towards trying to reboot some sort of European league or or at least try and do something else along those lines over this way. But um, in terms of the, the franchise outside of the US, I mean, personally, I don't, I don't think it should happen, which would probably be a shock to many people who know me and know my NFL fandom. But to me, it just doesn't seem right at the moment. Um, like obviously they've made a push to try and test a few things so obviously um, like you, you both said about the bye weeks after after they've come over um, and I think Seth also mentioned about the NFL actually obviously make sure that that was a thing and then I know in 2016 or 2017 they then made all the teams or made all the home teams play again the next week, and it was almost like a test to see how it would work, and to see how it. Because um, I remember the Ravens being one of the teams that sort of played back-to-back weeks, um, and I don't think there was major sort of hangovers from the week before. But it was interesting that when they then played the international series the next year, bye weeks were back again. So it was almost like from feedback from the players themselves, it was maybe a little bit too much. Um. I mean, we can all see that it's trending that way and a lot of the buzz online is that, yeah, they're, they're thinking of adding a London team, but I mean, I, I just can't see it at the moment. Logistically, I just don't see how it would work and lead to fairness in terms of um, competition. Because mm. that's the thing, that's, that's the one thing that I think uh, the UK as a nation and uh the the nfl as an organization wouldn't want would be to add a token team i'll put it in bracket you know put it in brackets a token team for the sake of pr and then them go into the league and get absolutely spanked you know that that would be the worst outcome um so from what i've kind of gauged from from what you said there lou is that Either one thing needs to happen in the sense that the European League needs to restart if we're going to start to see these players emerge, or we need to start having more players emerge so it becomes more of a a wider okay look we've got the talent here to do it because that's the thing you know if you if you t- if you handpicked the best players from Europe you know probably even this season's Falcons would beat them and and they were by far in my opinion the worst team in the NFL but that's we won't get onto the Matt Ryan debate. On, uh, I'll say that for another podcast where I'll probably get you both on. Um, but uh, you know, um, so we're gonna we're gonna go back, um, and now we're just gonna just uh, you know kind of a little back and forth chat um, about. We'll start on the MLS. Um, we'll, we'll go all the way back and start on the MLS. Um, Lou, as a European football fan, what does the MLS need to do to get you to watch it? more what what does it need to do what does the mls need to do to make you want to watch it as much as you not as much as you'd watch the nfl but as much as you would uh you know you you'd watch it because you want to i mean as, as tragic as it sounds it's probably not about what the mls can do um i think the big problem with the the mls and i'm not going to go down the route of quality or anything like that problem the MLS has got is competition. Um, the difference is, is 
just to sort of flip-flop between the points is NFL's got no competition in that sporting arena um, at the times they're playing, mm. really. I mean, you've, normally when you've got MLS games on, you'll normally have some sort of European football on earlier in that evening, overlapping with it. Then obviously your American games coming later on. And I think all the time you've got that, you're probably going to struggle to get fully in the minds of people. I mean, yeah. obviously yeah, a little bit of additional quality, but I think we've all, we've all said previously in the chat that um, you can see the quality is getting there. Um, but it's just it's just pure competition at the moment, unfortunately. Well, what do you, Seth? For you, obviously, you know we've we talked about a couple of players. You know, Pulisic, Dest, the next generation of of the U.S. national men's team. Again, I'll reiterate two very different successful stories um, with with the national team. But do you think um, for you a performance at a World Cup? by the US national team of, I don't know, a round of 16 appearance, maybe, but I know, I know I'm pushing it. I know I'm pushing it, <laughs> but I'm saying, would something like that happening allow the MLS to be taken more, well, the, not the MLS, just soccer, just the word soccer. The reason, you know, in the UK, we laugh at soccer in, as in the word that's used is because when we think of it, we think of the MLS. We think of you know the the ability that the the players that it's not the same level as Europe and you know change the name and all of that kind of thing. But do you think it would be a statement from the the American national team and the league if a lot of those players came from there, even if they're not playing there now, but a lot of the players graduated from the MLS? Do you think that would allow it to be taken a lot more seriously on a national stage? international stage yeah i absolutely think it would um that like again i mean i kind of mentioned earlier the u.s soccer federation our, our pyramid it, it, it's a mess to begin with um but if we can show on an international stage whether it's you know through players playing in europe whether it's through a a, a good world cup showing which honestly to me would probably be around 32 i don't mm. know you know uh, I don't see us making a round of 16. It's, I think that's a little bit beyond this this uh, mm. this qualifying cycle. Yeah, but yeah, no, it, it absolutely would go miles towards making um, you know people no take notice of what's happening here. Mm. You know, if we can show that we can develop players and be competitive, then I think in turn it does benefit MLS, even though they're basically you know almost two separate things. Because you look at the U the M U.S. national team players. You know, you get guys playing over in Europe, which is great. You get guys playing nationally. You get guys playing at the, at the lower levels of the U.S. here. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, just as a whole, I think if we can show that we are competitive, it'll make it better. Um, not only internationally, but also here domestically. You know, grow the sport here. You know, we have leagues popping up all over. You know, youth leagues, things like that. Um, our club here, New Mexico United, we've you know this is our third year in existence. Um, we've made it to the playoffs the first two years. Um, this year we announced a, a U23 squad that we're going to be starting. That's going to play in, I believe, USL League uh, Two, which is a, a development league. Mm -hmm. And then we've also announced an academy for for younger players, um, which is part of the USL Academy level. Which you know, again, way down at the bottom, but we're signing you know younger local players who've been standouts at, at their high schools. 
and at their um, at their youth uh, youth traveling clubs and things like that. Which again, it's and this is where I again U.S. soccer is a mess. Like there's no collaboration between the two. No. But yeah, if they can, if we can be competitive and show, hey, we're developing talent. That this is a place where players can come and play and reach the highest level. And you know, we've again, we've seen players move on from from U.S. Uh, from MLS, and so yeah, it, it's all beneficial, um, especially on the international stage. Um, so with and and sorry, I've got to go back to you to you, Seth. On on the kind of what Lou said earlier with regards to competition with sport, you know, the NFL's the NFL, uh, the the MLB's the MLB, the NBA's the NBA. They're, in my opinion, the top dogs in their fields, and everything else is below them, and the MLS is the only sport I would say where the US is trailing behind in in that success scale you know a prime example is Anton Walks was a brilliant example from Lou you know where we live Portsmouth they play in uh, League One currently in a cup final what's the score Lou? Uh, nil nil still nil nil jack it in jack it in um, uh, you know and that's a prime example of Anton Walks, a uh, Tottenham graduate. There we go. It's a link between all three of us. A uh, Tottenham graduate uh, went out to, to the MLS first, I believe, then came to Portsmouth and then went back to the MLS. But does that show... Because when he went out to, the, to, to Atlanta United, you know, does that show the level... Because he was good for Atlanta, I thought, when I saw him play. And he looked like a really a solid player. You know, he kind of obviously played right back to begin with, then kind of transitioned a little bit. But do you think, you know, that is also a negative thing because it shows that the standard of the MLS is Anton Walks can walk into, at the time, the best team in the MLS? Yeah, to an extent. Um you know, to pull something that, that just happened, uh, Alex Tambakis, a Greek uh, goalkeeper, uh, was just, uh, he was actually the, you, you probably know this, uh, he was the first ever signing for Atlanta United. Uh, he then went on to, he was basically spent three years on loan mm-hmm. with uh, Charleston Battery, and then he just signed with New Mexico United. In three years with Charleston Battery, he had 103 appearances and 26 clean sheets. I mean, this is a guy who's top-tier talent in, in Greece, signed by Atlanta United, made one appearance for the club, and is now at the USL Championship squad. Uh, tremendous signing for us here, but it doesn't look great for the MLS. I mean, you're bringing these guys in who are supposedly top talent or good you know, uh, from other leagues from around the world, and they're not playing. You know, mm. again, Anton Walks didn't get a lot of run in Atlanta. Um, we've got a guy out here now, Daniel Bruce, uh, played for Crew Alexander. Uh, love the guy, fantastic to talk to, you know, but his development process is so much different than what happens here. And, you know, it, yeah, it's just, you know, you look at MLS, we bring in guys who don't get a lot of run, who come in and get loaned out, things like that. And then you have us bringing in guys like Beckham, which don't get me wrong, Beckham was great for the exposure of the MLS. You got Ibra coming over, who's now playing Renilli again, you know, it, it's not necessarily a great look for the MLS at times to have these guys come in, either not get run or they get or they they play like a season or two and leave again. And we've got to find a way to bring in top talent and keep it here and help build the build the league. Do you think, uh, Lou, for you, um, an opportunity 
could arise. I, I don't know. I don't know uh, what you think on this, Seth, as well. But I will go to Lou first with this. Do you think uh, a cooperation between MLS clubs and uh, the Premier League clubs, so the the same way you see clubs partner. So, for example, uh, HSV recently have partnered with Rangers, which therefore means that you know that youth pool, that youth pool of players that are on both teams will get a chance to, you know, if someone wants to go play for Rangers, they'll play for Rangers in 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 their level, and and obviously vice versa with with the with Rangers to to Hamburg, and obviously a lot of Premier League teams have affiliate clubs that you know get special treatment on uh on younger talent do you think uh lou for you that would be a positive move for the mls to try and partner with clubs on a level where these young superstars that are up and coming over here that aren't going to play that are playing in the under 23 league at the minute because obviously you know like like seth said with the mls in the over here we have the Premier League, and then we have the Premier League Two, which is the under twenty three squads. Um, do you think it would be would be good maybe for the MLS to have that conversation with Premier League clubs in the sense of once a player makes that meteoric rise, when you look back, you'll see where they started, and that season that you know Anton Walks was at Atlanta United. But I'm saying, imagine a success story. Do you think that would be a huge step for the MLS? Uh, to be honest, I, I think it would be a good step for both Premier League clubs and the MLS. I mean, you've only got to look over the last decade. A lot of Premier League clubs will do a tour to America or will do your tour of Asia and do China or Japan and things like that. And all of this is about it's more about the finances. Mm. Um, it's more about obviously putting a stamp in those countries. Um. So in that in that regard, it's a good idea, but also for competitiveness, I think yeah, it's probably a, a good suggestion. Um, I mean, you've got Man City are in, uh, linked with New York City, aren't they? Yeah. On what? Man City, well, um, Man City own a club on every uh, on every country yeah, no, in the planet. <laughs> so for, I understand a, a few players have gone backwards and forwards in terms of youth players there, and I, I I'm a little bit surprised more clubs haven't done it. I mean, there's there's certainly been links down down the years with American owners. Um, obviously, Liverpool have got American owners. Fenway um, Sports, which I believe is is going to be something Boston based. So you're kind of surprised they've not done anything with the Revolution. Um, but yeah, and then you've obviously got Tampa, uh, the Glazers in at United. It just surprises me that uh, these clubs have not um, not on that way um considering the tours and little bits and bobs i believe yeah. seth wants to correct yeah <laughs> no yeah i agree like their mls needs to do something you've got some clubs that have those partnerships you mentioned nycfc and man city you know same ownership group you know uh leipzig uh same ownership group as new york red bulls here um like more needs to be done between these clubs between the european clubs whether it's or Bundesliga or, or anywhere else and MLS in my opinion I mean you've got clubs like Atlanta United who have partnership deals with Aberdeen you know I'm, okay great it's a tie to a European club but it's Aberdeen you know I mean I, I honestly I don't know how big Aberdeen is for, over there I don't know <laughs> um, you know if that's something that really, like, really sparks people's interest you know 
and it's just it causes all sorts of issues and you know a couple of years ago i don't you guys may or may not remember tyler adams who was a, yeah who was a defender for new york red bulls was sent over to leipzig now tyler adams obviously one of the biggest names uh in the past few years in u.s soccer he went to leipzig for less than three million dollars i mean and they basically paid themselves to take their own player off their hands, which is ridiculous. But they did it that way because at the time, the MLS rules on transfers were that the league took a 25% cut on every transfer out for non-designated players. Now, I can explain designated players for you if you want, but it's just, it was ridiculous. Now, that changed in 2020 where the MLS decided that clubs get 95% of any transfer fee. So – Atlanta United benefited benefited from that on their transfer of Pity Martinez, uh, valued at I think it was eighteen million dollars. You know, so Atlanta it's a vast difference in how the league has been run. Mm. And yeah, it's they've got to do more. They've got to expand, they've got to work on these partnerships, they've got to, you know, whether it's you know, some of these U twenty three guys coming over from Europe, getting I mean, obviously, in my opinion, a lot of these guys are going to be better than what you see on current MLS rosters. Yeah. Better than what's on USL championship rosters, obviously. I mean, in 2019, New Mexico United hosted Cardiff City, which was so much fun to watch. I got to meet Neil Warnock. Like, yeah. that for me was huge. And you know, for a lot of people here, there's not a lot of exposure to championship sides, to, you know, to – Primarily size outside of you know the big six on NBC, unless you have you know the this NBC Sports Gold and then you can watch everybody. But yeah, like stuff like that just increase the exposure rate of MLS to uh, to, to outside the states. Increase the exposure of Premier League of Championship sides to clubs here. You know by through partnerships, through player loans, through developmental deals, things like that. I mean, there's so much that could be done. You know, I think for both sides. I think I think uh, you know we're kind of getting to that kind of stage of the pod where we'll probably just talk until we stop. Uh, uh, in the sense of you know, so if you guys have got questions uh, in the chat, please let us know. And obviously, Lou and Seth, give me a nudge if you uh, if you guys need to shoot off. But um, going back to what you said, and I think I I don't know if I speak for Lou here, but I'd definitely be interested to understand how uh it works in the mls and this is my question imagining i'm in the chat watching my own stream you know incredibly egotistical of me to watch my own stream but you know imagine i'm in the chat asking this but you know how does that work you know because i'm aware that there's roughly a draft system in the mls kind of similar to the nfl if not exactly the same and i'm sure you're you're pointing out different to me if not but with the designated players, yeah, how does that how does that work? Because it's not it's something that I've never really and uh, you know if I want to start my football manager save in the MLS, I probably need to know this stuff now. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't I, honestly I haven't gotten too deep into FM, so I don't know if they have all of the rules. They do, there. they do. Oh mate, FM have FM have done the rules. They've done the rules. I was looking earlier. Okay. That's gonna, that'll be fun to see. Um, yeah. So yeah, you are correct. MLS does a they have a what they call it, their super draft every year. A lot of it is collegiate players um, from around the states here. There are some internationals that get drafted there as well, and basically the clubs own the rights to those players for for so for however long. Um, and that's where the roster rules come into place. Like the MLS roster, as far as I I think over for you guys, like you have to have so many like English players 
mm-hmm. in your squad, correct? Okay. So we ha- our our roster system is so messed up, and it's seems to be a theme. It seems to be a theme, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Everything's messed up. So we can have thirty MLS clubs can have thirty rostered players. Um, there twenty of those spots are designated senior roster. Okay. Now those players cannot have a salary that exceeds five hundred twenty thousand dollars. Now there are caveats to that, to where um, the that salary can go higher than that, but it's we'll get into that. Um, and MLS actually has a salary cap. Mm. Uh, I believe the salary cap for this season is five point two million dollars for each club. Um, now. So that's 20 roster spots. Then there's four more, uh, or five more. They're, they're called supplemental roster spots. And then there's additional five that are called reserve roster spots. These players can have a maximum salary of just over $70,000. And all of your reserves have to be under the age of 24. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Now, of those reserve spots two of those players have to be designated as homegrown players. Now, yeah, it gets really a homegrown player is someone that lives within a club's territory and has spent at least one year in their academy. And they're typically academy graduates from that club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and they're and then their salaries are even lower than the other guys. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we can have uh, well, each club is given at the beginning of every season eight international player roster spots. Now, those spots can be traded or sold to other clubs for what's called allocation money or even traded for other players. Yeah, and there's no limit to the number of internationals you can have. Doesn't sound like a sport to me. I, I don't know what you think, Lou, <laughs> but it doesn't sound like a sport. It sounds like a, a you know, a, like a, a business move. It sounds like you know you're buying and selling on Amazon. You know, like yeah, it's crazy. And then there's uh, one more basically designation. There's other designations that we we get, but the biggest one is designated players. Yeah, this now, is the one. Yeah, each club has is given two of these to begin with, and then you can purchase a third spot from the league. That money that you pay the league goes into a general allocation fund, which gets dispersed to all of the clubs. Um, now, these players don't count against your salaries of uh, or your salary budget for the year. So that's why you see guys like Ibra or Rooney or Joseph coming in, and you know, and, and this is and this is strange too. The USL Championship doesn't do this. I don't know that. I think most contracts over in, over in uh, the Prem are pretty much known. Mm. But MLS publishes the contract details and salaries of every single player. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. But so, yeah, so these designated players, like I said, their salaries don't count against their transfer, don't count, don't count against your budget. But you can pay down that salary using the allocation money to reduce the amount of impact that players have on your budget it's it's so strange it really is because we we tried over here to lou and you'll be able to weigh in on this with portsmouth you know they tried over here to um to in to add stability stability to lower league clubs they tried adding a salary cap which obviously now uh, you know you're talking about some of these 
players in the MLS, which is obviously the highest they can play in America, earning $70,000 is the maximum they can earn. And that was obviously you said, I know it's a bit way down the squad. But over here, you'll have, you know, League Two players earning £70,000 a year. So for Lou, with the salary cap, why do you think that idea didn't work over here? Was it because we already had the model and it was just impossible to change? Um, I know a lot of the bigger clubs were against the salary cap um, because it didn't, it didn't take into account profitability or anything like that. It was just literally a blanket cap, which I do agree with in a way, and it works in the NFL and probably the MLS because they're single entities. Um, but when you're part of a, a pyramid system that you're going to, uh, promote and relegate. I, I think it's kind of hard to introduce that. Um, same with drafting. I, the drafting system with the NFL. See, I've not got the the knowledge of it with the MLS, but it the main point of the draft is to make it fair. So your worst team picks first, so potentially gets the best player. It's something that's a really good idea. If you could work it in Premier League football, it would be amazing. But you've just got too many variables that you can't. Um, but I mean, I, I think the salary cap failed in the lower league over here um, because they reversed it a couple of weeks back um, just because it, it was done rather quickly because of the impacts of COVID. And I just don't think it was, it, it didn't legally stand up from what I've, from what I've read. Um, mm. and it, it, it was a surprise it lasted as long as it did, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, question for you, Seth, in the chat from Holly. Um, it's, is the MLS... Um, in terms of how it works, the same for the women's league out there. What's the alternative for the the females of the United States of America? Um, so we've got the NWSL, which is the the premier women's league here. Um, there are some. There's discussion of others looking at starting women's league. Like the USL Championship is in talks to start a women's league, uh, which I think would be fantastic. You know, we have. Um, there are other leagues, but they're not as big as the NWSL. We actually have a club here that did really well uh, last season, the Albuquerque Rush. Um, and they, but unfortunately, they didn't have the funding to, they had to do like a, a publicly, they had to do like public fundraising in order to get to their playoff matches, <laughs> which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate, but, you know, it's, uh, I mean, outside of the national team, I mean, there's really not a lot of options for, for female players here. Um, you know, NWSL does very well. It actually streams over, it actually streams here on Twitch. Um, I, did, I think they do at least one match a week or something like that. Um, but yeah, you see a lot of our major talent, you know, going and playing over in Europe. And again, that, that's the best possible option for, for our, for our talented uh, soccer players is going elsewhere to play. Um, NWSL is extremely competitive, which I think is great. Uh, I think it elevates the, the women's game here. But yeah, outside of that, there's not a lot of options. And I mean, there, there's some in the pipeline that they're talking about, which I think will help. And I think those leagues that are doing it, like NWSL, if USL does a women's league, that they're going to have to have some sort of partnership yeah. to, to work together to, to grow that. Um, and, and, and this is uh, probably, unless anyone in the chat comes up, this is a, a personal final point that I, I want to discuss and I'm going to be really careful and I'm going to ask for both of you. 
putting politics aside with regards to the National Football League, starting to see an immersion, um, immersion is the wrong word, uh, uh, you know, we're starting to see little uh, leagues pop up on the peripheral. You know, we're seeing the return of the XFL, which obviously is is mainly for political reasons, but we won't get into that side of things. But obviously there are also other reasons like rules and, and all that kind of thing. And I don't know if you guys have discovered this, and, and Lou, I might put you onto an absolute gem here, and you might have heard of it as well, Seth. But the FCF on Twitch is is my new favourite thing on a Saturday night. Oh my god! Um, do you think uh, taking away the um, longevity issue, which is for Seth, you might know this, but me and Lou will definitely know this. The biggest issue that the UK population has with the NFL is 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 its longevity. Um, how long the game takes, how long it is between, you know, obviously we, me and Lou will explain to these people that don't bother to understand why this, why there's gaps. You know, I, I always refer it to, you know, when you're watching a football game, you hate watching the centre backs park to the right back, park to the centre back. In the NFL, that doesn't happen. Every play is a highlight. Um, and, and that's why there's that gap between. That's why they take a little longer to set up. Because you've got to imagine, you know, when you watch Match of the Day, you only see the goal or the shot. So with the introduction, and Lou, if, you, if you're not familiar with the FCF, the FCF, I believe, is 7v7. Uh, is, it the, is it the league that Johnny Manziel's had a little bit? I, Johnny Manziel has had a dabble in it, yeah. yeah so I, I've seen seen little bits but yeah not. so so for anyone watching this that doesn't know what the fcf is the fcf is fan controlled football uh which uh they have taken viewership immersion um into whole whole nother level uh you know you go up you sign up online and you can literally vote to pick the plays on the game you pick the draft you pick everything obviously you know you pick your team and, and then whatever but do you think uh the the NFL could have had a chance to introduce something for the more casual viewer, like an FCF. Obviously, the XFL is totally different because that's all about just beating the crap out of each other and showing how masculine you are. Um, but the FCF, do you think it was an uh, an opportunity missed? Because obviously, they have flag football, which is, is very entertaining to watch. I believe that's also 7v7, I want to say, or is it 5v5? I, I, I don't know too much about flag football. But those kind of quick sports do you think uh lou the nfl missed a chance to you know have a little baby there that that they could have made some serious cash on uh i think the nfl um i don't think at the moment they've missed anything um probably due to what's happened i mean at xfl i know it sort of fell by the wayside um sooner soon after it started mm. Um, but I mean, it's it's a very good point. I mean, you've only got to look at it in comparison to things we've got ho over here in terms of 2020 cricket and um, Premier League darts and snooker, where the game is just sped up. Um, mm. It's an idea. It's just how they'd work it. I mean, I always say to people when I'm talking about my fandom of the NFL and how I do it is I always sort of make sure I'm doing something else while I'm watching it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you don't notice the break so much. So, I mean, big thing with 
it's it's becoming more prevalent over here is um with obviously fantasy football so a thing i'll be doing if i'm watching the games on a sunday is i'll be sat there checking my fantasy team during the breaks you know what i mean so you're you're seeing how you're getting on you know you're not noticing the the breaks on the tv because you're sort of keeping yourself entertained through it but i mean i can get i can get the frustrations with that part of it but I just think the product that you'd have on the field if you didn't have at least slight breaks would would deteriorate quite quickly for you seth um and and we might come back to this if not we'll, we'll probably wrap it up but uh following on from that point seth about these little leagues emerging you know how one have how have they been received in the in the in the US and secondly um and this is where we might come back to Lou do you think uh okay the NFL might have missed the opportunity to add a fun league into their you know into their uh corporation of of well product into their product well, into their product they could have added that into the product they could have owned it and it could have they could have done exactly the same thing as FCF and it probably would have been received exactly the same um but do you think if that wasn't going to happen, red zone is the best thing? Because I, I will put my hand up and I will say I think red zone on a Sunday night is the best thing that has ever happened to the NFL. Um, because oh my god, you know, me and my mates sit in PlayStation parties and watch it because it, it's just it's just what you want from the NFL. You know, you just see action all the time. So for you, one uh, Seth, how do you think? You know, these little things popping up are received in the US. Are they taken seriously? And then secondly, you know, do you think if they're not taken seriously, Red Zone is the perfect way for a European viewer to find the game more exciting? I mean, for years, there have been little pop-up leagues that have tried to get going. Um, you got the the CFL, which is, I, I, I believe it's fairly popular. You got some teams like the, the Alouettes that draw really well. Uh, you've got some NFL caliber talent that go over there, and they do they do pretty well. Um, they've been a long running league, and I think they're going to continue to be successful. They do play an opposite schedule, yeah, uh, for the most part of the NFL, and I think that's one of the things that, in a way, has hurt some of these leagues, um, like the AAF or the original XFL. Uh, I mean, the original XFL was a gimmick by Vince McMahon. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really like competitive football. It, you had like you had wrestling storylines and all sorts of stuff going into it. And don't get me wrong, it was entertaining to watch. But when I sit down to watch you know, American football, that's not what I want. You know? No. Um, you had the AAF pop up a couple of years ago. They went under in less than a season due to absolutely horrid management. Um, again, it was, they attempted to be a spring league, a, a chance to give or an. It was a league to give guys another chance at potentially moving on to the NFL. I mean, there was a lot of talk of the NFL looking at, at looking at these players, and several of them did get signed after the AAF folded. And now you've got XFL 2.0, uh, which is you know coming uh, coming back, uh, owned by you know The Rock. Uh, that's going to be interesting. They're in talks with the CFL, doing some sort of partnership. Uh, you know, I think, and I don't think necessarily any of these leagues are going to usurp the nfl no. by any means no. uh, again i think if nfl was to look at it and say okay we can partner with you guys we want to use you as like a developmental league i think that would be fantastic um but at the same time it's you know it, it really it's really kind of worrisome that none of these leagues have been successful maybe it's because 
the NFL has been basically had a monopoly on it for for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think it's a good idea. Whether or not they'll succeed, I, that's another thing. Um, and, and sorry, what was the? It's on it's on red zone. So like, if if red you zone. were to say, you know, because there'll be a there'll be I don't know if there'll be a lot of people watching this, but you know, when if people if you were to say to you know European fans, would red zone be your sit down, watch it once, and then learn the game afterwards. Because, you know, I know I know. for me, a lot of people, the moment they say they don't like the NFL, I tell them, have you watched Red Zone? Yeah, absolutely. I would say if you're not familiar with it, you want to get uh, just like a, a real high level, right, here's what's exciting about it. Yeah, watch Red Zone. I, I Red Zone show, again, shows you the highlights. Basically, it just shows you like all the potential scoring plays, you know, the drama of that and yeah that's where i would go and then learn the game as you go i've i tried to teach people nfl in the past and you're gonna have people no matter what they're either gonna get into it or they're not i mean it's it's you know from my perspective it took me forever to understand the offside rule in in soccer um and even now it's I, think a, we can all agree. I, I think i think you were uh, you and the guys at stockley park have the same issue and they're, and they're professionally trained to do it right yeah no, it, it's it's just one of those things you know once you sit down and spend time with it you know again get that hook you know mm. get the excitement see what see, see what's exciting about the nfl and then learn as you go I yeah mean, w- once you pay attention to it the rules aren't all that difficult um now the application of them you know as we see across basically every league it, that's where we run into issues but yeah, yeah, yeah. watch red zone it, it's so much to watch it's so much fun yeah well, uh, I think I think guys, uh, you know, we're coming up to an hour and a half now of of, of being live, and I just want to say a massive thanks to both of you, Seth. Thank you for uh, for getting up and making yourself look beautiful and coming on. Lou, thank you for you know always looking beautiful and coming on. Um, I just want to say uh, if, the, if you guys, uh, Seth, I'll start with you. If people want to know uh, where to find you, uh, where's best to look? Uh, obviously, apart from getting on a plane and finding you which is a little bit creepy but i'm thinking more social media wise and content wise where where they can find you sure you can find me uh, i'm primarily on twitter it's at seth bitoff and then i do stream here on twitch um occasionally uh so i do that and then i cover again i've covered new mexico united for my own website dadventuresmedia.com as well as our espn affiliate espn radio uh, that's 1017theteam.com and uh, Lou, I'm fairly new to this, but uh, you know, uh, thank you again for coming on. Uh, you've done really well. Um, and uh, and yeah, so where can people find you on Twitter if they want to see your opinions on the NFL and sports? I will put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it would literally just be my Twitter, which is at LewisCharlton08. Um, yeah. And if you uh, and if you want to follow uh, the best uh, football team in Portsmouth and probably in the UK. You can also follow Horndean United on Twitter. Uh, they've got a really, really good left back and I'm not talking about Louis Knight. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so thank you everyone for watching. Um, as always, I'm probably going to just chuck a raid over to someone uh, if you two want to just hang on for a second afterwards and then, uh, and then I'll let you get on. So let's quickly have a look and see who's live. We'll send over the love as always. We're going to raid Michael. Oh! I see H-E-L-10. Lovely. Cool. So, yeah, thank you so much, guys, for watching. Um, 
Episode 3 guest has been signed. He is... Uh, he, I think I've given away part of it already. He's signed. It's all good to go um, and will be announced on Monday. So we can make sure you guys keep an eye out for that on Twitter. Um, for yeah, and don't forget um, if you guys do want to see more people, make sure you uh, you know message me on Twitter. Any topics you guys want to talk about after this podcast, I definitely know that I would like to have Seth and Lewis back on nearer the start of the season to talk about the same kind of topics again, and and maybe in more detail the MLS or in more detail the NFL. Um, but yeah, once again, thank you everyone for watching and supporting. Uh, it means the absolute world. I'm really enjoying doing these podcasts, and thank you again for the guests. And I'll see you guys later.